evening, everybody. Let's pray. Father, tonight we're in your presence. We long always to be in your presence. And here we are tonight, worshiping you and spirit and truth. And we praise your holy name. We know, Lord, that you are a way maker, a miracle worker. Lord, you've done it in our lives as time has passed in each one of our lives. You made a way. Sometimes we didn't even think we'd ever get through it. But we did. And then we recognized that that's the time you picked us up and carried us on your shoulders. And we thank you, Lord. Can't think of the hundred thousands of times you've helped us in our life and in our walk with you, making a way, doing miracles in our lives. Some miracles we take for granted, like the very breath that we're going to take next. It's a miracle from you. And there's miracles that we forgot. And then there's miracles that and you have uh, done in our lives and in our family members' lives or people's lives that we prayed for, and we thank you because you are a miracle worker, and we thank you, Lord. Father, tonight we come before you humbly, repenting of our sins. I think of Peter when he said to you, get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And Lord, I don't want you to go away from me, but I know I'm a sinful man. And we're thanking you for your grace and your mercy and for your courage to stand up and repent of our sins and become a believer in Messiah of Israel, Jesus Christ. Lord, we give you this time. We give you ourselves, Lord, tonight. Anew and afresh. That you would not only come in our hearts, but you would possess every fiber, every being, every molecule that we are made of. Fill us, saturate us with your Holy Spirit tonight. And may our worship be acceptable in your sight. The true worship, Lord, submitting our will to your will. And tonight we come before you, Lord, submitting our will to your will. We give up our control, our rights, and our will to you. We are now servants of you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We've made that decision, and we're going to stand by it all the days of our life. Holy Spirit, help us to follow through with that because you are the power to give us the strength to make it through. Father, tonight we bind back forces of wickedness. We know that they're all around us. But we wear the seal of the Holy Spirit and the devil, Father God, recognizes who we are. So we fight in the Spirit and we say that there's no weapon the devil can form against us that will prosper. And if he accuses us in judgment, we have the authority to condemn him. That's our inheritance from you, Lord, and our justification. 
So, Father, we plead, we rebuke, I should say, any evil force of wickedness. And we ask you to loose your Holy Spirit in this place and in our hearts and in our minds and that we can serve you all the days of our life with joy and thanksgiving. Father, we pray these things in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. We look forward to that day, Lord, when you come. We can't wait. Come quickly, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, church. Is this thing still flashing? <laughs> okay, let's see if we can get it uh, not flash. How about that? You like that? <laughs> we'll see if it don't flash. If it flashes again, maybe the Lord's highlighting his word as it comes to forth. <laughs> For all the views out there, again, just tuned in on whatever places we are, podcasts and a whole bunch of other stuff, which I don't really know. I want you to know you're listening to Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. You can go to our website, freedomchurchpb.org, freedomchurchpb.org. And PB stands for Palm Beach because we're in Palm Beach, Florida. So um, um, you can go online. You can check out any services from the past. You know, several years back, you can donate online. You can find out who we are, our location. If the Lord's telling you to give, you could uh, always mail in a check. If you don't, if you have our address, which is 2810 High Paluxo Road, Lantana, Florida, 33462. And we thank you for your tithes and offerings, as we said earlier in this message. We only say it again because there's other people to tune in right now. So we're glad you're here. Um, we're in Matthew, or not Matthew, we're in Genesis chapter 43. On Thursday nights, we've been studying in Genesis uh, for, well, there's 50, 50 chapters in Genesis. We're on 43. Some of the chapters we did uh, took two or even three weeks to get through. So we've been in this book for a while. It's a beautiful book. Tonight, we're going to see that uh, Joseph is in Egypt, and the brothers, his brothers are going to appear for him and bow down before him for the second time, fulfilling, you know, his God's vision or, or dream that he gave to Joseph when he was just a teenager. So we're going to see, see that tonight. Um, I haven't been up here in two weeks because we, uh, we were away. I was doing a memorial up in um, Claremont, Florida. Now, we just took a couple of days off and uh, relaxed. And, uh, you know, we got to, I got to preach to a whole bunch of Jew Jewish people. <laughs> and uh, I stuck on to the Messianic prophecies and told them it's very hard to miss. If you study the Messianic prophecies, there's 365 of them in the Old Testament. You can't deny that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And by the way, I told them the, the name Christ is in Hebrew, translated Messiah. So um, I was hoping that the Lord, you know, would impress to their hearts. Now, the fellow that, uh, you know, that I knew, you know, he's, he's from up north, and when he's in South Florida, he's here, but he was a converted Messianic Jew. 
So we thank him for he's the greatest guy you ever want to meet, too. But he's with the Lord now, and we know it, and uh, and we thank the Lord. I thank the Lord that our lives, my life, crossed with his life here on this earth. So I'm going to review chapter 42 because this it's been three weeks ago since I was up here, and Genesis 42 and 43 go kind of together. Chapter 42, Joseph meets his brothers in Egypt for the first time, and they bow down to him, you know, which was a prophecy or a, a dream given to Joseph 20 years ago. Here they are, bowing down, just like the dream had said, and God was in the dream. That makes um, Joseph uh, a, a prophet. You know, he prophesied that this would happen, and his, bro his brothers and his mom and dad didn't believe him. Okay, you can find that in Genesis chapter 37, verses 5 through 10. Okay, Joseph was not recognized by them in Egypt when they came to buy food because there was a severe famine going on, and it covered multiple countries, and they heard that there was food in Egypt, um, and they, they were sent down there by Jacob, their father, to to gather grain or get grain and bring it back so they don't starve to death, okay? Well, they had to go before Joseph. As we learned, he was made second in charge. He was like prime minister of Egypt, the man underneath Pharaoh himself, and he distributed all the food. And uh, he recognized his brothers, but his brothers did not recognize him. Remember, he's an Egyptian now. He's dressing like an Egyptian. You know, Egyptians... You know, shaved all their, most of the time they were, were just shaven clean, even bald-headed, and they wear strange things and even makeup. So, you know, Joseph wasn't recognized by him. And he also spoke in, in, in Egyptian. But when his brothers talked, he understood them because they were speaking in, in the Hebrew language. So jo Joseph, you know, dresses them, and he's very harsh with them. And they told him the truth that, you know, um, their dad was alive because he asked specific questions. Is your dad still alive? Do you have any more brothers? And that made the brothers suspicious, but they didn't understand it. Joseph was just testing their faith to see if they were going to re be repentant for, for selling him into Egypt. And we find out that Joseph is overhearing them as, as, as they're talking with one another. And they were saying, see, God is bringing back. What you sow is what you reap. You're going to get it back. So, um, you know, Joseph is testing them, and he hears them say that they shouldn't have done that. So they were on the verge of conviction and repentance. Joseph then requires Benjamin to be brought to him, okay, because he is the full-blooded brother of Joseph, Benjamin. He was just a toddler probably when Joseph was sold into Egypt. Now he's probably about 25 years old. So that's why Joseph asked his, his brothers, do you have any other brothers? Because he counted there wasn't enough of them. There should, have been, there should have been 11 and there was only 10. So, Verses 21 and 22 of uh, that chapter, you know, tell us that they have a trace of conviction. 
We are truly guilty concerning our brother, they said amongst themselves. But Joseph overhears them and knows exactly what they're saying. And here he sees that they have changed somewhat. But because he, he was probably just trying to plan his way, how he's going to handle this situation. So he put these brothers in jail for three days and probably mapped out his plan how he's going to handle it. After three days, he released them, but he kept Simeon. Remember, Reuben and Simeon were the first two born. Reuben first, Simeon second. Simeon was kept a hostage. The brothers leave with the grain, and as they go with the grain that they bought in Egypt, they open up a sack, and there's their money in the sack, and they're worried stiff now. They're going to think we stole the money. Jacob is told what happens, and he refuses. Pharaoh, or, or um, Joseph, said, I'm not giving you any more. Here's enough to, to live on until, until you come back. And when you come back, you bring your, your brother, because I want to see if you're lying or not. He accused them of being spies. But when, it, when the boys get back to Jacob, he refuses to send Benjamin because he had already lost Joseph. And Joseph and Benjamin were the sons of his beloved wife, Rachel. He was failing to remember God's promises. Jacob here. God promised him, remember, land blessings and people and he was failing to remember that he's thinking well we're going to die we're going to starve to death the famine was severe it was going on for seven years he was this was this was probably three years at least or four years even into the famine so he fails to remember the victories that he had as a as a child of God, you know, the wrestling with the angel. He forgot about wrestling with the angel of the Lord, and Jacob prevailed. And the angel of the Lord hit him on the hip, and he's been limping ever since. God put that there as a thorn in his flesh so that he might remember how God delivered him and how God had blessed him. He failed to, to uh, reject discouraging words at this point. His brothers are saying, we got to go, Dad. we got to bring Benjamin down there. If we don't, this guy may kill us. They didn't know anything about him. He forgot that when he prayed to God, when he was coming back into Canaan, that Esau was there and he was ready to kill him. And he forgot how God, instead of killing him, Esau embraced him. And they both cried together. He forgot about these victories that he had. And that's a lesson for us today. We have to remember our prior victories. We have to remember the things that God said to us. And we have to stand firm on them. In, in Psalm 78, verse 41, you know, God was, the Egyptians were in the, uh, the, the, the Jews were in the desert, and they were constantly complaining. And if Psalm 78, verse 41 says, again and again, they tempted God and they limited his power. And that's what Jacob's doing here. He forgot. Jacob 
forgot the dreams that Joseph told him he had, that the sun and the moon and the stars will bow down to him. He had no clue that this guy was Joseph in Israel. He's feeling to fulfill his name at this point, Jacob. You remember, God changed his name at, to Israel, means governed by God. He was not still governed by God. But God will use his covenant name of Israel in this very chapter, in the very next chapter, I should say. And that's a lesson right there. Anyone that refuses to be governed by God will be led by tyrants. That's just the way it is. If you refuse to be uh, governed by God as a Christian, you will be led by tyrants. It will lead you in a wrong direction. You can think of that of governments today. If you, if you're, if you refuse to be governed in your family by God, believe me, the enemy will come against you and tear you up. You've got to remember these kind of things. Even the country that we live in now, if we fail to recognize God and be governed by God in the United States of America, we will be led by tyrants. You know who quoted that? I'm quoting words of a famous man. You know him as William Penn. The fellow that, you know, Pennsylvania, my home state, came from. Pennsylvania was named after William Penn. And I believe he was a Quaker. So he was reminding the people, that if you refuse to be led by God, you will be led by tyrants. And that's what we got going on in America today. We're being led by tyrants. And it's a sad, sad day for us here in America. So chapter 43, Joseph meets his brothers for the second time in this chapter. He already met with them once. He sent them away, you remember. They were to come back with, with, um, with uh, Benjamin. And they finally, can, they're in this chapter, they're going to convince Dad, you've got to send Benjamin or we're going to starve to death. And because he lacks his faith, lacked and wavered, you know, he refused to send him until the food ran out again. And then he sends his sons down to Egypt for a second time, and they appear before for Joseph, and they did not know it was Joseph, of course. They're running out of food. So let's read. I want to read chapter 43, verses 1 through 10, and we'll go through as we, as we see, you know, try to bring this chapter together. Chapter 43, verses 1 through 10. This is the New King James Version. Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass that when they had eaten up all the grain which they had bought, brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. But Judas spoke to him, saying, Now Judah, you can see Judah come to the forefront here in this chapter. He's the fourth-born son of, of Leah, and he is going to inherit the birthright. Because remember, Reuben slept with the concubine of Jacob's Bilhah. And Simeon and Levi, remember, they slaughtered people that raped their sister Dinah. The whole city, they slaughtered them. 
So now we have the, we're going to see Judah rise to power to inherit the birthright and the messianic line, light. The Messiah will come from the, from the tribe of Judah. And that's why we know Jesus as the lion from the tribe of Judah. But Judah spoke to him saying, the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will, if you do not send our brother with us, we will not go down and buy food. But if you will not send him, Benjamin, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, there's the covenant name, God's calling Jacob by his covenant name now. And Israel said, why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? But he, they said, the man asked us pointedly. See, Joseph, he didn't get it, but Joseph knew exactly what was going on. He asked them specific questions. And he, we told him, according to these words, according to, we, could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? Then Judah said to, said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me, and I will arise and go, and we will live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. That's an important line right there. I'll explain it as we go on. From my, from my hand, from my I can find out where I'm at here. Set my, from my hand, you shall require him. And if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned the second time. Jacob's now between a rock and off hard place. Either the family's going to starve to death or he's going to send Benjamin down to, down to Egypt. So he gets the message, must have been hungry, and knew they were going to run out of food. Notice Jacob's decision has absolutely nothing to do with Simeon. It's important. He don't... He doesn't care what's happening to Simeon. Verse 46 of chapter, uh, verse 6 of chapter 43. And Israel said, why did you deal so wrongly with me as to tell the man whether you, st you still had another brother? He said, why did you tell him the truth? That's what he's saying. What, you, what would Joseph have done if he knew Benjamin was alive, which he did? I mean, he knew he was his brother, and he said, no, he's, we don't have another brother. He would have put him in jail for a, the whole situation would have changed completely at that. So they did tell the truth. This is the first good thing that Judah actually does in the Scripture. Judah assumes the family leadership right here. He wasn't, he wasn't like Reuben said, you know, I'll, I'll take the blame. He, my family can take you can kill my my sons but here Judah saying you can kill me do you see that that's kind of like like a guarantee Judah is guaranteeing and guess what Jesus did 
He guaranteed our salvation with the Holy Spirit. Jesus offered himself, just like Judah offered himself, as a guarantee that I will come back, you know, for, for, um, for, for Benjamin, with Benjamin. And Jesus himself is our guarantee. You can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 22. I'm going to read it for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ Jesus and has anointed us in God, who also sealed us with sealed us and gave us the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. And other versions say a guarantee. This is the New American Standard. This is the, the uh, New King James. So Judah offers himself as a guarantee. You can see him assuming the responsibility. He's willing to die, not like Reuben. Reuben wants his sons to die, not him. He offers himself as a sacrifice. Reuben's offer was in chapter 42, just before. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, Kill my two sons if I do not bring Benjamin back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. He's, he's not doing anything with his life, but Judah is different. He said, You can take my life if I don't bring him back. Judah, just like Jesus, is offering self, himself sacrificially. And you know what did Jesus tell us in 1 John 15, 13? Greater love has no man than this, that one should lay his life down for a friend. So I can see Judah rising in the leadership here. Judah's has a bunch of wrongdoings, as we've seen in the Scripture. He was the one who proposed that we sell Joseph to the Midianites going to Egypt. He also wronged, wronged Tamar, the wife of his son, and never gave you know, um, Tamar to his little son that was rising up as he got older and she recognized that and she remember she described herself as a prostitute and Jacob went into her his wife had died he goes into her and she gets pregnant by him so these are wrongdoings but Judah's heart is now changing as the years went by we should have a change in our heart since you came to Christ. You should not be the same person you were before you accepted or received Christ as your Savior. And you must repent in order to be receive Christ as your Savior. You know what? Charles Spurgeon said it this way, sin and hell are married until repentance 
repentance establishes the divorce. Sin and hell are married unless repentance establishes the divorce. So without 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 repenting, your words may fall right to the ground. See, we should have the change of heart. When you accepted the Lord as your Savior, you should have had a change of heart, and, you know, since Christ came in. You should not be the same person. It's all through the Scriptures. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. In Matthew chapter 7, where we're going to be in on Sunday, we're going to see those words, you know, that... that uh, we, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Once you're saved, and you know you're saved, and you truly repented, you will have a change of heart, and you will be different. And you will have good fruit from now on, not bad fruit. Genesis 43, verses 11 through 14. And their father Israel, again the covenant name, said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your sack. In other words, to give them back the money, the integrity of giving the money back to them. Take the double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouths of the sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brothers also and arise and go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your brother and Benjamin. Release Simeon and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, then I am bereaved. In other words, he's recognized, he's just going to trust the Lord on this. Again, you can see him growing in the Lord. But look at Jacob. You know what? The famine was severe, but Jacob has fruits. He has honey. He has spices. He has myrrh. He has nuts, pistachio nuts and almonds, you know. So he's a wise planter. He's, he's allowing the, by the time the guys, kids get back, you know, this will probably be gone. But take, he says, take a little honey, not a lot, because they needed it. And a little spices and a little myrrh. Jacob is really here giving him permission to take Benjamin with him, although he didn't want to. He was learning that he must trust in the Lord with all of his heart. And, and again, I mentioned God's calling him. God's writing this book, as you well know, even though it was written by the hand of Moses. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof. No prophecy ever of ever written was an act of human will. Men led by the Holy Spirit spoke and wrote from God, you know. Jacob's beginning to live by his covenant name, and that's why God in this chapter is naming him Israel, so he can grow in the name that he is, which he's governed by God. In other words, God rules me. And that's the way we should be. If we are children of God, God should be ruling our life, not the devil and not our flesh. So here's the second trip to Egypt with the brothers, verses 15 through 22. So the men took the present and Benjamin 
and they took double money in their sacks and arose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the steward of the house, Take these men to my house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said, It is because, is it because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we may, that we are brought in so that he may make a case against us and fall upon us to take us as slaves with our donkeys? When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we had come to the encampment that we opened our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of the sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it back in your hands, and we have brought it down. We have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. So the brothers are returned to Egypt. They appear before Joseph. Joseph recognizes uh, Benjamin. He invites them to the house for lunch, but the 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 brothers are thinking this is a bad situation. He's going to make us his slaves. But he's planning a feast for the brothers. The brothers are afraid of that. They're really scared to death. So Joseph, you know, they're appearing for Joseph the second time, and it's a time of testing. It's really a time of testing. The first test, you know, of Joseph was their hearts as they were repentant and he heard them speaking we should not have done this to our brother now we're getting what we deserve and Joseph heard that so that impresses Joseph he they're repentant they know they did wrong they did to and the second test is this money are they going to be integrable men you remember they sold Joseph into Egypt for 20 pieces of silver that's two pieces of silver each he wants to see if they're integrable now after, after these 20 years or so have gone by. They give back the money. And the principle here is they are confessing. They're being integrable. And they're passing this test. Chapter 43, verse 23 through 31. But he said, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So remember, Simeon's in jail the whole time. So the man brought the man, men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave their donkeys feed. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon. For they heard that they would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house. And they bowed down before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-doing. And he said, It is, is your father well? 
the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they answered, Your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down, prostrated themselves, then lifted their, then he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into the chamber and into his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out and he restrained himself and said, serve the bread. Now the, the sons now are bowing a second time in fulfillment of Joseph's dream. They bowed before Joseph and they prostrated themselves. But Joseph, seeing Benjamin, he couldn't hold it in. He runs out, he's weeping. You know what? For you men out there that are unwilling to cry, you should know, you, you do know that Jesus wept. Listen, the creator of the universe wept. That doesn't make him a sissy. That doesn't make him a sissy. Makes him compassionate. Well, here's Joseph. He's compassionate now. He sees his brothers that he obviously has forgiven. He's just testing them. He runs out and weeps and goes to his office. The word says chamber. I would think, hey, that's like my office. Go into my office and cry. And then he came out. He washed his face so he didn't let them know he was crying. There, you know, is um, they confessed to, to having the money in their sacks, and it's met with, it's actually met with grace. Joseph, you know, forgives them. He's, he's, it's met with grace. And it's a picture of God's grace towards us today. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's important. God's final judgment for his people will always be grace. Joseph gazed in verse 29 through 31 at Benjamin. And he overcome with, was overcome with emotion. Remember, he hasn't seen Benjamin or these men for 20 years. He spent 13 years between Potiphar's house and prison, and now it's years later, okay? It's 20 years has gone by, pretty close to it. We're just guessing at that time, but listen. There's, there's actually different ways that, that Joseph here is typifying Christ to be added to the other ones we already have, which I showed you 27 ways that Joseph typifies Christ. Number 28 would be both gave grace to their brethren who did not deserve it. Do you think they deserved Joseph's grace for sending them in, putting them in a, in a cistern? And then deciding they wanted them to die there, and then to take them out and sell them for a lousy 20 pieces of silver, a slave's wage, the price of a slave, I should say. Both gave grace to their brethren. 
Jesus gave grace to his brethren, and they didn't deserve it because they crucified him, and they were constantly on him. And we know that by grace we're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works that any man should boast. So that tells you right there, people, your good works don't get you into heaven. It's grace that you're saved through faith, faith in Christ and what he did on the cross for you, not by your good works. You're actually saying, I need to help Jesus out. Listen, you don't have to help Jesus out. He's already done it for you. All you got to do is believe. And truly believe means repent. Repent of it. Number 29, Jesus and Joseph both wept. Jesus wept two or three times in the Scriptures when he saw Jerusalem, when he was coming in on Palm Sunday. He said, oh, how I wished that you would gather yourself under my wings like a hen would gather her chicks. And he wept over the city. And he wept in the garden, you well know that, as he was calling out to the Lord, is, you know, um, that can remove this cup from me. And the Father said, no, it can't be done. It has to be done by blood. Only blood and righteous blood can redeem men. And then number 30, another way that Joseph and Jesus, uh, Joseph typifies Christ is they both served bread to their brethren. You know that at Passover, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he gave them the bread to eat at the Passover meal. And here Joseph is giving them bread to eat. Actually, the very bread of heaven was with them as they ate. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Genesis 43, 32 through 34. So they set him a place before himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his birthright. And the men looked at, in astonishment at one another. And they took, then he took sayings, servings to them from before him. But Benjamin received five times as much as their as any of the others. So they drank, and they were merry with him. As Joseph is seated by himself. Remember, it's an abomination. It says right here in the Scripture, it's an abomination for them to eat with Hebrews. That's why the Hebrews by you know, were sent to the land of Goshen, because they couldn't separate, you know, mix with the, with the uh, Egyptian people. So they were sent to Goshen, where they were separated from them and they could raise their sheep because shepherds were an abomination the hebrews who were shepherds were abominations to the egyptians but joseph is seated by himself it gives you details here because the egyptians could not eat food with the with the hebrews i know i don't know why shepherds were abhorred 
You know, it was just an Egyptian custom. Sounds very racist to me. Egyptians were mostly racist society on earth, as, as one scholar said. There was absolutely no mixing with foreigners. And you know what? That pretty much came to be, as far as I know. They, they spent 400 years, and they were completely separate from the, from the Jews, from the, from the Egyptians, I should say. So God was using this to keep them separate. Remember, Messiah is coming from this, this uh, Hebrew nation. God is actually keeping them separate on purpose. You know, they're circumcised. Egyptians weren't. And sir, circumcision is an outward sign of an inward change. That's what it means today, too. These are God's people. They were circumcised. And today, you, if you believe in Jesus, you're circumcised of heart, according to the Word of God. The flesh is cut away from your heart. You're supposed to be a spiritual being from now on. Even the servants were, were seated separately. The Egyptians, obviously, were extremely discriminative people. Why? I really don't know. But God uses that to keep them separate, keep them distinct from the Egyptians for more than 400 years, as I already said. The brothers now are seated according to their age. From, from Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, and the rest of them, they're sitting, sitting in age order. You know what scholars say, or Scientists would say the odds in that happening would be 1 in 40 million. 1 in 40 million chances. And even the brothers, they noticed this. I was thinking like, we're, we're, in, we're in our birth order here. What's going on? You know, for that to happen, just happen, it would be 1 in 40 million. That would be the statistics. It's impossible. Maybe they're catching on, but I don't think so because I think they have great fear still going on in them. But they're wondering, what's going on here? How can this be? And Benjamin is seated according to his age. No, I mean, I'm sorry. Benjamin is given five times what his other brothers are. That's another, another distinct lesson. If I came over and gave uh, Dan a steak, and I went over to to Amanda, and I gave her five steaks, <laughs> you know, you would notice a difference, right? Now, they're thinking, like, we're in, we're in, we're in age order, birthright order. Um, Benjamin's getting five times. What's going on here? John Benjamin gets five steaks, and Dan only got one single steak. They're wondering, what's going on? And you remember, as I said earlier, Joseph, Benjamin is Joseph's full-blooded brother, the sons of Rachel, the beloved wife of, of Jacob, who he worked seven years for that ended up for four, 14 years that ultimately ended up in 20 years, him staying with his uncle Laban. Benjamin also... Look at it this way. Benjamin wasn't present when they put him, put Joseph in the cistern and sold him into Egypt. So all the other sons are guilty. The other ten sons are guilty, but Benjamin would not be because he was the youngest, and, of course, he was not with his brothers at that time because he was just a toddler then. 
That's a, this is the third test. Joseph is looking for signs of resentment. He's trying to see. Listen, Dan gets one stake. Amanda gets five stakes. Reuben gets one stake, but Benjamin gets five stakes. He's trying to see, do I resent? Are they resenting Benjamin? See that? Now, they're, now there's a problem. I mean, there's not a problem because they obviously, obviously they didn't show anything like that was going on. But Joseph is testing them to see if they have resentment in them. Remember, the first test Joseph had the last chapter, he tested them. Are they repentant in heart? My question is to every believer in the audience, whether you're in this church or out there over in the line, are you repentant in your heart? Or did you just raise your hand one time when a, when a pastor or somebody uh, led you in prayer? Or were you repentant in your heart? Or did you just mouth a bunch of words? That's important. Because if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You have to have heart in it. God always looks at your heart. Now Joseph sees the first test and, and realizes that they're passing this test. They know that what they did to Joseph they shouldn't have done, but it's too late now. I always wondered, when Joseph finds out what they did to, well, when Jacob finds out what they did to Joseph, what did he say to his ten sons? Was he ticked off? I would think so, because he... He was mourning over Joseph's death for home for 20 years or so. The second test, first test, repentance. The second test here, or are they going to be men of integrity? Are they going to give back that money that was put in their sack, or are they just going to hoard it and buy more food? And they passed that test, as we read in prior verses. They gave the money back, or they were willing to give the money back. And the third test here is do they have resentment? Because Benjamin got five times what they got. Obviously, he didn't see any resentment. They were bewildered. They're in, they're in birthright order. And who would know that? One in 40 million chances of them being number, you know, in alphabetical order. So, the end really is result. Are they harboring resentment? Are they greedy? And are they willing to repent? And that's what the world needs today. You have to repent. I, I really like that, that quote of Charles Sturgeon. Spurgeon, I'm sorry. Sin and hell are married until repentance proclaims the divorce. Sin and hell were married. That means if you're a sinner, you're going to hell. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish, said the Lord in Luke 13, 3 and 13, 5. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So sin and hell were married until repentance causes the divorce. So you must repent, world, church, today. You know what? There's some statistics I read somewhere, and I don't know if I have them here, but Billy Graham said that he would be happy if 5% of all the people that came up front to his 
his um, teachings, he'd be happy if 5% of them were really saved by believing in their heart and repenting of their sin. We don't get many messages like that today because a lot of pastors want to uh, tickle ears. And, you know, we can't tickle ears because, you know why, why we can't tickle ears? Because the Word of God is sure, and we know for a surety where they're going to go if they do not repent and come to receive Christ as their Savior. It's important. So if any of you out there maybe raised your hand at a church service, but there wasn't no heart into it, tonight you got to do that. And you can mouth your own words with your own heart instead of repeating after me. Because I've seen people get saved like that. They write at their bedside after they preach. Somebody preached to them a week before or a day before. They, they got on their bed uh, bedside at, on Sunday night and repented of their sin. And they were saved. So God's not looking at the, the what can I say, the the pattern for repentance. He's looking at your heart. Was your heart really repentant? So we need to. And another point I want you to know is remember, if you refuse to be governed by God, you will be governed by a tyrant. And his name will be Jesus, or Satan or self. So let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you, Lord, for your message and your word. Lord, we thank you that that we, I know I have, and I believe in my heart. I did it with my heart 40-some years ago. Believe in my heart that Jesus is the Lord. Repented of my sin, and your Holy Spirit helped me to be a different man from that moment on. And I thank you for that. Because I hated the man that I was. But I love the man that you're making me out to be. Father, I pray for all these people out there that want a second chance. All they got to do is cry out to you with a whole heart. Repent of what they have done. Repent. Do it no longer. Turn around. Go the other direction. They repent of their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Guarantee through his death and resurrection, that we are guaranteed eternal life as we believe and receive him. Lord, today, I pray that you receive the glory, and I pray that if anybody out there accepted Christ, Lord, I pray that that uh, you bless them and all that they put their hands to and let them know for a surety that you are walking with them and you will get them through. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. I love you all.